we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, good morning. Thanks for being here. Totally inappropriate, which is helpful for our new series today. But before we get to our new series, a couple things I want to celebrate. By the way, if you're new here this morning, uh, we want to welcome you. Uh, uh, we are in the middle of changing and, and transitioning. Uh, we're planning a new church called The Table, and we'll be on Black Road, which we're excited about. But part of our mission is to lead you into a forward-moving relationship with Jesus. And not only that, but what we envision when we come here is that this would be a joyful, exuberant party where everyone belongs. And so this morning, we have a lot to celebrate. A couple things that I want to celebrate this morning before we begin, and that is Hope Closet, right? Some of y'all volunteered yesterday, and Hope Closet yesterday, amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, We had 38 families. Uh, We had 83 children that we helped out for a total of 157 people that we clothed yesterday, which is exciting. So uh, you can give them a hand. And um, what's even better is when you not only give a hand, but you like give out a hand and you help us in this process. We want you to be part of this. Like right now, our small groups are the one that have been kind of serving Hope Closet, and we want you to be part of that. And so sign up for next month. We'll need you next month, especially in August. Um, Sign up, be a part of that. It's great. The other thing I want to tell you about is in August, we have another event. Two weeks after our food truck fight night, uh, where we're going to have food trucks there, we're going to have laser tag, it's going to be a great time. Uh, in addition to that, two weeks later, we do a Hope Closet event that's really for kids, and we're going to have face painting, we're going to have bouncy houses, and one of the cool things that our children's director, uh, Ms. Jill Vogel, by the way, she is amazing, hello, uh, who knew that she would be so awesome? Yeah, you can celebrate that. Uh, she's like, I think we want to give away backpacks, and I'm like, we should do 25, and she said, no, that's like the loser's number. Like, let's go for 100. And so I said, hey, if that's what you want to do, 100 backpacks to give away at Hope Closet, let's do it. And so she's already outside of our church raised enough funding for 46 backpacks. Yeah, somebody gave her $200, said here's $200, which is great. And so uh, starting now, in fact, after this service, I got two things I want you to do after service. Go back. And for $25, you can sponsor one of our students in Joliet. All of these backpacks are going to go to students that are in Joliet. We received a list from the school. It'll be filling those things with the things that they need. And it's expensive to go to school. And so we're going to send those kids off uh, free of charge, at least for when it comes to school supplies. Exciting stuff. Will you celebrate that with me this morning? Yeah, you guys are doing amazing, amazing, amazing things. So this morning we start a new series called Grow Up. How many of you have ever had somebody look at you and tell you to grow up, right? And what they're saying is you are acting, thinking, and talking way below what you are capable of, right? You've had somebody say this? In fact, when I think about grow up, I think about my uncle. See, y'all have one of those uncles or one of those aunts or one of those relatives. Well, this is a good uncle. I remember we were on vacation one time together at their lake house, and um, that was fun. And he thought it would be really cool to take a giant Cheeto, not the ones that you get now that are small and all crumpled up and baked and stuff like that, but this was the giant puffy ones. You remember the puffy Cheetos? They still make those, I know. We just don't eat them as much. He would take this thing and he would stick it up his nose. 
And then he would swirl it around and around and around, and all the kids would go, ew, like you're doing right now, right? And then he would take it out, and he'd go, and he'd say, mmm, so good. And we would look at him and like, wow, he's the coolest uncle ever. And of course, all the kids think any uncle that will eat a self-infused, not fondue-covered, it's not Cheeto, like, is the coolest thing. The parents are like, you need to grow up, dude. Like, come on, get with it, get with it. And here's the thing, here's the thing. The reason why I wanted to do this series is because I think, not intentionally, but I think sometimes spiritually, we are still in the corner with Cheetos stuck up our noses. I mean, let's just call it out the way it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. Like, I realize that in my own life that there is a lot of growth that needs to happen. And the reason you're here is probably because you're saying, hey, there's growth in my life that needs to happen. So we want to get to a point where we take the Cheetos out of our nose and we own it and we eat it. Okay, maybe not. But anyway, would you pray for me before we begin? Uh, really appreciate your prayers in this time. Lord, we give thanks for this day and for this moment. I pray that these words that are given over the next uh, few minutes would be impactful, that they would not only be something we hear, but they would change who we are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Uh, well, this Christmas... Um, right before Christmas, our sons, our kids, we, that Janelle and I had for 10 years, went out. And uh, great time for a gaming system to go out. I'm not a gamer. I'm not up to speed on all the latest and greatest. In fact, I thought after 10 years that a Wii was still, like, groundbreaking. I mean, who would have thought that you could have two things in your wrist and it would mimic everything that you're, is that not cool anymore? I thought it was really cool. And so I started doing some research on what kind of, system where we wanted to get our, our kids and of course we don't have money for that and so somebody uh, in our church who's very generous and gracious at Christmas time to our family every year it's the only way we can buy uh, gifts uh, for our kids and really for us um, and so we buy our kids these little gifts and we decided this year for one big gift we would buy them a switch thanks to somebody's generosity and the reason why I chose the switch and the reason why we like the switch is because it was really interactive in fact, you know, they don't just have like Minecraft and all the other games that you can do. But they have this one game called Labo Kit. I think we have a, a video of Labo Kit. And this is my son just a few days ago for their birthday. Um, that box, that pack that's on his back, it's like a jet pack. And it's got an engine inside. And what's cool about that is it didn't come that way. See, the Labo Kit was something that he had to create on his drive. own. Yeah, I'm talking about He'll drive yeah. here in a minute. This is really cool. Um, Never mind. <laughs> but what's cool is he puts it together. They, they instruct you how to take all this cardboard and all these pieces and all these screws, and he puts it together. And in the box, there's actual, like, pistons going up and down. And then it, it's just really, really cool. And I like that they can take it out and go wherever they want to go. But my favorite part of Labo Kit is the app, that I have parent controls, and I can set the time of how often our kids play on this thing. And so um, we give our kids a half an hour a day. Now, I would like to say that we stick to our guns, but there are times I will look down at my phone and it will say four <laughs> hours uh, on a Saturday. So uh, the app doesn't work as well as I thought it would. Um, but so here's what I'm experiencing, though. Maybe you've experienced this with your kids and students. Maybe you experienced this with your parents. Um, when it's time for my boys to get off of the switch, when it's time for them to be done with the game, they go from these engineering, pioneering, a very grown-up, I'm writing code in Minecraft so I don't have to go back to some behind screens in order to get the blocks that I can, like Carter was writing code one day, and I'm thinking, how in the world did you do this? They go from these very mature kind of kids to, when I say, hey, 
I need some help with some chores. I need you to go outside because it's sunny and we only get a few days like that in Illinois. Like, I need you to just go do something else. And they look at me and it's like, they turn into these pistols. Like, they start whining, they start complaining, they start fighting and bickering with each other. And the other day I had to go um, get some stuff for my rose bushes because there's a bug that's eating them. And of course, there's no point in having a bush and flowers that don't flower because of bugs. And so I said, hey guys, I need you to turn it off and we need to go to the store. Backing out of the driveway, kid you not, I don't even have it in drive yet. And Carter says, I bet we're going to Lowe's, aren't we, Dad? I didn't tell him where we were going, but we were going to Lowe's. <laughs> and so I went to Ace Hardware because I had a not-so-grown-up moment. And I'm like, I'm going to prove this kid wrong. We aren't going to Lowe's. So I went to Ace Hardware. I pulled in like, look, look where we are now. We're not at Lowe's anymore. See? And so we had this conversation with him on the way back. I get in the car and I said, listen, buddy, here's what I'm noticing about you guys. You get on this crazy gaming system. Sound like an old white guy, don't I? And I uh, get on this uh, cra crazy gaming system. And when I ask you to do something, you don't want to do what you don't want to do. And I said, sometimes in life, you have to do what you don't want to do. And he said, but I hate Lowe's. And I hate going shopping. And I just want to be on my switch. And what he expressed was, I just want to do me. I don't want to do what you want me to do. And you know, it's easy to point fingers at my kids. It's easy to point out their problems and their issues. But guess what? We're no different. Because here's what I've, I've noticed, and this is just part of my life and part of who I am too, is we have gotten to a place in life that we don't do anything that we don't want to do. Like if it requires challenge, if it requires work, if it gives you a headache, if it's an inconvenience, it's inconceivable. And so here's, we even come up with a phrase that, that kind of defines where we are as, as people, a culture, a community, here's, here's the word. We say this to people. We say, hey, you do you. You ever say that to somebody? Maybe you haven't, but maybe you have. When, when somebody just wants to do their own thing, you just say, hey, you do you. Come on, we do us all the time. You do you all the time. Somebody ever texts you, and, and the text that you get elicits a response that you don't want to give, and so you just do you and you don't respond you ever done this or maybe you've been on the other side when you've text somebody and you look at the the bottom underneath the bubble and it says red and you know that they read your text message and you know that they processed your text message but they haven't responded to you anybody anybody have this you do you in that moment come on we've had this experience parents you do you all the time with your kids they're great excuses i've done this I get it. Sundays, there are days you don't want to go to church. There are days I want to go kayak. There are days I want to go do something else. And so what you do is you walk into your kid's room and they're under 900 blankets. By the way, mothers, soon to be mothers, this is a great excuse on why you don't need to go to church. They're under all these blankets. They're all tucked in. And you know you're tired and exhausted and it's been a long week. And so you walk up and you put your hand on their forehead and you're like, honey, I think he has a fever yeah, he's under 900 blankets. Hello. I think we should skip church today. We use their sleeping schedules and, you know, they're sick all the time as a you-do-you you kind of thing. I think we do um, this with doctors. We do this with doctors. The doctor says I can't walk because I'll get arthritis. I don't have it. He just says that I'll get it. And so I probably shouldn't walk or exercise. You know, I'll get bad knees if I do that. We do the you-do-you kind of thing when it comes to eating. Hey, doctor said there's a lot of bacteria in the salad. We probably shouldn't eat it. So, you know, I'll just keep with the Twinkies or whatever else, you know, to stay away from, from that. And 
We do us all the time. You do you all the time. I do me all the time. And here is the problem. Is spiritually, and when it comes to our faith, and when it comes to growing up in our faith, um, we do us all the time. And here's what I know, and here's the tension that I think we have to wrestle with, and that is this, is that we believe growth is given. Here's what I know about us. In the 1.7 times that you will show up this month, and I was asking in the earlier service, why is it 1.7? Well, it's only three quarters of you because your head's half the time not here. So it's 1.7 times that you will show up in a month. We think that we will magically somehow experience amazing growth with God. But then when it comes to working it out, when it requires us to put effort in, when it inconveniences our schedule throughout the week, it's like, mm, not so much. Here's another you-do-you kind of thing we do in faith all the time. We want the advice, but we don't want the activity to practice the advice that we're given. Do y'all follow me on this? Like, hey, pastor, great message. I mean, everybody ever says that. But anyway, if they did, pastor, great advice today. But nobody ever wants the activity. Nobody wants the challenge. Nobody actually wants to take to heart what's being said and, and then put it into life and put it into faith. And I just got to let you in. This actually went through my mind this week. I can't believe I'm sharing it with you. But you know, we have this vision of being a place where everyone belongs. And I actually thought to myself, what if everyone doesn't belong? And here's why. I get it. If you, somebody dragged you here, somebody made you come here, if you don't want to be here, can I just say, why are you here? Because if I were you, I would be doing something that is well worth my time. I'd be out fishing with my boys. I'd be out hunting. I'd be out doing whatever I could do other than being here. And what I want, what I want, and why I say maybe it's not for everybody is because we want people who are passionate, who are hungry, who are excited, who are about ready, like tenacious about growing their faith with God. And so this morning, um, we're going to look at an amazing story because we know that growth isn't given. And we're going to look at a, a, a few words by a guy named James. Anybody familiar with James? There's this guy, there's this writer who happened to be the brother of Jesus. And I don't know what it would take to convince you that your brother was the Messiah, but it would sure take me a lot, you know? Like, if my brother told me he was Jesus and that he was the Savior of the world, good chance I'm not listening or following. And James was really skeptical, and so he kind of followed, and he kind of watched along over the course of three years, and he really didn't believe until Jesus... By the way, i got to get rid of this thing. Three weeks now, I've kicked this. I'm tired of kicking that thing. So, by the way, after Jesus' resurrection... James thinks to himself, you know what, anybody who can come back to life after they've been dead, they might be worth following. And here's what he knows. He watched a movement over the course of history that had so much growth that they began to document it, they began to write about it, they began to talk about it. And here's what James understands, that the growth that he witnessed, the resurrection didn't happen without a cross. And here's what he understands, is that the movement that took place following the life of Jesus didn't happen without pain. It didn't happen without suffering. It took a lot, a lot, a lot of work. And so he wants us to understand that sometimes in, in life, in order to move forward, it has to feel like we're going back. In fact, one of my good mentors always says this. He says, hey, if you want to go up, sometimes you have to feel like you're going down. 
If you want to go right, sometimes you have to feel like you're going left. And so here's what James tells us today. Y'all ready for this? This is exciting. Actually, you won't be as excited once I get to it. Here we go. Ready? He says, I, James, am a slave of God and the master of Jesus. Wow, that's some intense language. Um, But that's kind of telling us where we're going. He says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered into the kingdom. And he says, everyone, hello, greetings. This is a great day. And then he unloads on us. He says, I mean, we're like one sentence into his letter. And here's what he says. Consider it a gift, a sheer gift, friends. Say it with me now. When tests and challenges come at from all sides. That's right. They come at you from all sides. Consider it a gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. James would make the worst pastor in history. I'm sorry, but when I read this, I wanted to walk out the door. I mean, seriously, worst, I mean, great writer, great thinker, but nobody wants to show up on a Sunday and hear the pastor say, hey, um, it's really great when you are challenged and tested all the time. No, you show up because you want me to hear say, for God knows the plans that he has for you, plans to prosper you, not to what? Harm you, James is like baloney. I don't care what Jeremiah said. I don't care what you've heard before. Like, seriously, terrible pastoring. And the reason why he says this is because he's not only witnessed it, but he's heard it from his brother's mouth in the story he tells. And I love this story. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people and he says, hey, the kingdom of God, in other words, the relationship you have with me, in other words, what heaven could look like in your life is when a farmer goes out and scatter some seed, and it's not the one we talked about last week. This one, he says, hey, the farmer goes out, he plants some seed, and guess what happens? When he goes to bed that night, his enemies come, and they plant weeds, and they plant thistles, and they plant all these ugly plants that aren't supposed to grow up with wheat. And then the servants go out, and they find that this wheat and these weeds are growing up, together and they come back to the master and they say hey somebody planted some nasty stuff in your garden last night when you were asleep what do you want us to do and here's what jesus says here's what the master says he says let them grow up together y'all following this so far it's kind of like um your yard How many of you like working in your yard? Some of you like working in your yard? Yeah? See, you you understand that in working in your yard, there is dandelions, there's clover, there's crabgrass, there's all that junk that gets in there. And if you don't pay attention to it, it spreads like wildfire. And back in the days before I was alive, the only way that you would get green grass is to get down on your knees and to hand pick that stuff out. If you wanted green grass to get rid of the clover and the crabgrass and all that, you just get down and you hand pick that stuff out. But today... Today we have this amazing stuff called fertilizer. I know some of you love fertilizer. Fertilizer. And you can get four seasons of it that will, you can put on your grass that will get rid of everything that you want to get rid of. It'll get rid of the crabgrass, it'll get rid of the clover, it'll get rid of the dandelions, it'll get rid of all that stuff for you. It'll pull it right out. 
And I walked into Ace one day, and this is the salesman staring at me, and he says, what are you here for? I said, I need some, some Scott's fertilizer for the weeds and dandelion stuff. And he says, hey, listen, I know that you think it makes your grass look really good, but he said, do you understand what kind of chemicals you're putting in the ground? And I looked at him and said, you're not a very good salesman, are you? He said, I'm not, and I don't want you to buy this. I don't want you to put this in the ground. He said, I, w- I actually just want you to walk out, and I'm like, I guess I never thought about that. I'm putting a lot of these chemicals in the ground. And so I just decided to walk out with anything. And what he was saying to me was, you are putting synthetic chemicals in your property to make it look natural when it's completely unhealthy. Y'all with me on this? You're putting stuff in the ground that's synthetic that makes your grass look beautiful and pretty and makes it look really healthy. But the truth is, is you have no clue what you're doing to it. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing. That most of us have a synthetical spiritual life. And so I'm about to say a couple things that you may disagree with and you can push back on and that's all right. But here's here's the thing. I think we do this in Christian world all the time. That we fertilize a false reality, especially when it comes to Christian institutions and organizations and schools. We fertilize a false reality for us and for our kids. Because we want to create perfect conditions where they don't have to grow up with weeds. You guys following me on this? We, we put them in these perfect conditions where my kid's not going to have to hear this person say this, or my kid's not going to be exposed to this bad language, or my kid isn't going to be made fun of and bullied. And so we put them in these, these, these spiritual bubbles in a way that they're protected and they are not exposed to weeds and to places and to things that could harm them. You really want to get under my skin. Um, in fact, our welcome video I'm, I'm going to get rid of because it says, this is a safe place. Nothing bothers me more in the church when somebody says, this is a safe place. We want this to be like home. Or we want this to be comfortable. No, you know what? I think... I think what James and what Jesus are getting at is uh, we need people in our lives and we need situations in our lives. When we show up, we have differing opinions. We have different political views. We have different orientations in terms of our sexuality and well, you know how we all work that out together. I think what, what James and Jesus are getting at is we need people who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, get along with us. We may have differing opinions. We may have disagreements. But at the end of the day, we have people all around us that push us, poke us, prod us, and make us uncomfortable. In other words, what they're saying is you need a butt whooping. In fact, one of my favorite authors, my favorite authors and greatest writers, and by the way, she's Christian. She says this. She says, if you're not in the arena also getting your tushy kicked, tushy was too long, so she had to shorten it. If you're not in the arena getting your tushy kicked, I'm not interested in your feedback. If you're not in the arena getting beat up, I'm not interested in your feedback. Now, that doesn't sound very Christ-like, but it's exactly what Christ is getting at. It's exactly what James is getting at, that people who are mature make life in the messes. This This is one of the things I want you to understand this morning, that the people who are mature in their faith make life in 
messes. That they find themselves surrounded, poked, prodded, and completely uncomfortable. And you're saying, why in the world? Why in the world would James want that for us? So here's what he says. He says, you know that under pressure, it's under pressure that your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. You see, it's under pressure. How many of you have been under pressure before? I say under pressure is feeling in over your head. That's how I define under pressure. How many of you have ever felt like you were in over your head on something? Like it was way above you, it was way bigger than you, it was way beyond you, and you couldn't handle it. Ever show up at work and know that your to-do list is longer than the hours that are provided for you to get it done? And you look at the list and you're like, I can only get about three or four of these things done today, and I know that if I don't get the 20 that are supposed to get done, my boss is going to show up at my door and they're going to be in my face asking me why I didn't get it done. You are under pressure. I wonder if you feel under pressure when you go to your doctor and they tell you, hey, I'm not sure how we can solve this problem. I don't even know that what you have is curable. And at the end of the day, you're looking at them asking for answers and you want answers because you want to be healthy. But they're saying, hey, I don't know. And you're starting to feel the weight and pressure of your life because you know that your life is in jeopardy. Students, come on. I think about you guys all the time when it comes to your parents. I know that you have parents. Most of you have parents. But don't you have pressure when it comes to them? Like... They have hopes and dreams and goals for your life, and you have hopes and dreams and goals for your life, and sometimes their goals for you and your goals for you don't add up at all. In fact, they're in completely different directions. And see, the pressure for you, the pressure for you is that at the end of the day, you don't want to disappoint your parents, but you also don't want to go in the direction that they're asking you to go. And you know that if, if you go in a different direction, man, they're going to be disappointed, Right? You feel a little bit of pressure there. I think some of us are under pressure when we've lost loved ones. We've had people in our lives, maybe our spouse, spouses or mothers or, or fathers who have passed away and they were everything to us and suddenly they're gone, they're no longer here. And, and then our whole world is flipped upside down and we feel the pressure and weight of that. Financially, financially, most of us, I get it, we all struggle with money at some point and financially we feel the weight of not being able to take care of what we need to take care of. But here's where I know where we've gone wrong. Every church, every pastor, everybody who has stood up in front of you on any given Sunday has done you a disservice. Because here's what we've turned church into. Hey, man, you do you. Like You come here, and I will give you some self-help advice on how you can help yourself. So when you come in here, you expect me to have answers, you expect me to give you advice, and then you walk out and you put that advice into practice, and all of a sudden the situation or the, the pressure that you're feeling from somebody else, you put it into practice and you look back and you think, wow, look what I did. Because we have become, we've just gotten to a place in church and in life where we say, hey, this is how you do it. You just do it the way, you know, do it this way and you'll be fine. And so we just do us. And what happens is when we are under pressure and we look back and we think, hey, we did it on our own, we have no room to look back and say, where was God in that? In fact, this is why we're always pointed at and people say, there's nothing but hypocrites in the church. 
Do you, why, do you know why there's nothing but hypocrites in the church? Because there are times in your life where your pastor, where your mom, where your friend, where your boyfriend, whoever that is, does not have the answers for you. You faced with under pressure, over your head kind of situations. You can't explain it. You don't have answers for it. And you're looking around for everybody to help you and to get you out of it. And you begin to think to yourself, what am I going to do now? And when you have nowhere to turn, guess what James says? He says, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. And when you're broken and when you're bending and when you have no clue how you're going to make it, people look at you because you turn into somebody that looks nothing like the person God has called you to be. And they say, you're a Christian. Where's your God? This is what you follow. And so I would say that there are going to be times in your life where you're not going to have the answers. And here's why those times are put in your life. Here's what James says. He says, so don't try to get out. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. Notice he doesn't say, you do your work. He says, let it. But the pressure situation in your life, do its work so that you can what? Become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. See, the self-help, the you do you, is how are you going to get me out of this? Pastor, what are you going to do to solve my problem? What are you going to say to me to get me out of the predicament I'm in at this point? James says, hey, hey, don't know if you know this. That's not how it works. There aren't plans to prosper you. There aren't plans to get, keep you out of harm. No, in fact, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of him, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be out of control. And guess what? At the end of the day, it's going to be difficult. And he says, I need you to stick it out in this moment. It reminds me of my son. We went to the beach a couple years ago. By the way, it's my son's birthday, Miles' birthday today. He's turning out. He was so much fun. But this little guy, uh, you know, we took them to the beach. And, of course, there's nothing more nerve-wracking than going to a beach for a week and not knowing if they're going to like it. Because if they don't like it, you're going to be stuck on a beach with them hating it for the whole week. And so, you know, Janelle was like, hey, I'll unpack, you take them down. So I went down to the beach with them for just a few minutes before dinner. This is before dinner, so they're in their dress clothes. And I just wanted to kind of test the waters, no pun intended. And so they, um, they get out there, and I think they're going to stick their toes in. And then they see this first little cool wave come in. They've never seen a wave in their life. And it's filled with foam and, you know, all sorts of seaweed and sand and seashells. And they find that interesting, and so they stick their feet in, and then their hands, and they're grabbing. The next thing I know, they're laying down in the water in their good clothes that we're going to go out to dinner in. Whoops. And then I remember about midweek, I was teaching the boys. We got some pictures of this. We were teaching them how to bodyboard and how to surf, uh, body surf. And, and at one point, we were out in these waves, and I look over, and my little guy, Miles, who's right there, all you could see was the tip of his nose, and the tip of his lips. And this dude is sucking air. You know, he's, he's doing this. And you can't see anything but his lips and his nose. And I'm standing next to him, and I look at him, and of course he can't hear me because he's underwater, so I'm yelling at him. I said, hey, buddy! You look like you're struggling and a little bit tired. Do you want some help? Of course he can't hear me. And so I go to grab his arm to help him up. And he says, hey, don't! Get away from me! 
nothing worse than when you're in public and a kid says, get away from me. Uh, you look like a creeper. And so I, I, you know, I didn't help him. And I'm looking at him, watching this kid sucking wind. The waves are going over his face. He can barely breathe. And he's just doing his thing. And I say, hey, buddy, seriously, it looks like you're about to drown. You need some help. And so I go to grab his arm again. And he's like, get away from me. And so fine. Hey, parenting moment right here. Watch this. And so I just stood next to him, and I kept saying, you're going to drown, you're going to drown, you're going to go underwater. And so I'm just sitting here watching him like, I know you all can see this, my kid's drowning right here, and I'm just watching him. Isn't this great? Proud parent moment right there. I don't know if that's an ocean fail, but it was. But then I, I think about it. Looking, looking back on that situation, I wonder, what if, what if in, in his under pressure, underwater, I'm surrounded by everything kind of moment where it looks like he was literally going to drown and die. If I would have reached down and pulled him out of the water, how detrimental that could have been to him in his growth, in his understanding of the ocean and the sea. See, I think if I would have pulled him out before he was ready, I would have taught him a fear of jumping in the ocean and swimming and having fun. Because all he knows is that this is scary and dangerous, and I'm not supposed to be here. And I give that example, and I tell you that story, because each of you finds yourselves in a time and a place where you feel like you're drowning. You're in over your head. You're feeling overwhelmed. You feel like you can't breathe and you're suffocating. And you're looking to everybody else and you'll come to me and say, Pastor, hey, did you know that I, and would you pray for it? And would you give me the answer too? And you know what I want to say to you? I just want to smile, give you my Joel Osteen grin and say, let it do its work. I love you. I'm proud of you. But can I just tell you, if I pull you out prematurely, you will be deficient in your faith. Like if I grab you and help you, you will be deficient in your understanding of God and what he's trying to do in your life. And so here's what I want you to know today. In faith, forget the you do you. Forget the self-help, forget the advice, forget somebody getting you out of, forget the you do you, and let it, your situation, that pressure, whatever you're facing that feels insurmountable, let it do what it's meant to do for you. Because if you can stay with it, you will find that you will begin to grow and you will begin to go to a deeper level that God is trying to take you. See, your willingness to grow is only as big as your ability to be broken. And so if you're saying, hey, pastor, that's too much work. That's an inconvenience for me. Hey, I don't know that that fits into my calendar. Then you're not ready. And that's okay. But I want you to know that you're going to get to a place where God wants to take you somewhere better than where you are. And it's going to require that you feel like you're going down rather than going up. So here's what I want you to do this week. Two things. Two things. You ready for this? I know this is the longest message in history that I've ever given. I'm so sorry. I'll quit in about 10 more minutes. I'm totally kidding. Here's what I want you to do this week. 
we want to practice. You want to say, Brad, what do you want me to do with my faith? How, how am I supposed to grow in my faith? Here you go. You ready? I want you to define the in over your head kind of moment. What is the pressure? What are the weeds? What are those pokey little people and things and situations in your life that drive you nuts and make you uncomfortable and make you crazy? And you're thinking, what in the world are they doing here? I want you to write it out. I want you to text it out to a friend. I want you to put it in your phone. I don't care where you put it, but define it, whatever it is for you. And then I want you to answer four questions. Number one, why is it here? Why am I in this situation? Why is it here? Number two, by the way, this is the point where you take notes. This is school right here. Why is it here? What is it teaching me about God? Like, there's a reason why I'm in this. And it's teaching me something about who God is and the nature of God's love for me. What is it teaching me about God? Number three, what is God teaching me about it? God want to teach me in this situation? And then lastly, what is the positive outflow of staying under the pressure? Staying in and sticking it out. What will be the positive gain if I stay in this difficult and hard and thorny situation? And I will tell you, I think the growth, the growth that you will receive would be nothing that you ever expected. So, forget the you do you and let it do what it's meant 